We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. The Fraternal Order of Police just issued a report that shows skyrocketing murder rates in cities across the nation, up as much as 800% compared to the same time last year. All of us should be asking this basic question, why is this happening? I'll answer this question and more on today's rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. On May 25th, the Fraternal Order of Police issued a report. Very recent, obviously, May 25th. And in this report, they show the skyrocketing homicide rates in cities across the nation. Here are some of the numbers. Philadelphia, 40% increase compared to the same time last year. Minneapolis, 56% increase, same time last year. New York City is up 22%, Chicago 22%, Los Angeles is up 27%, Washington, D.C. is up 35%, and Portland, are you ready for it? They are up 800% compared to the same time last year. This is not a right-wing rag This is coming from the Fraternal Order of Police, the FOP. This is today's topic. How in the world is this happening? We need to ask ourselves this question. And I would argue I've got the answer. And it goes back to a TV show, a broadcast on BET, Black Entertainment Network. One more time on that. BET the Black Entertainment Network, just last week. Before we get into the topic today, remember that if you would like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash d-r-e-v-e-r-e-t-t-p-i-p-e-r, patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. And as always, remember my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. And then the prequel to that, not a daycare, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth. In fact, you might go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or the bookstore of your choice and purchase a pa- package deal. Get both of those books. Give them away as gifts to your kids, to your grandkids, or to folks in your church. Grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good, and not a daycare, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth. Let's take an early break, thank our sponsors, acknowledge them, and when I get back, we're going to talk about the skyrocketing murder rates in our cities across the nation. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. I hope you had a good Memorial Day weekend, by the way. Celebrating, celebrating, I don't know if that's the right word or not, commemorating, thanking those individuals who have given their lives, memorializing, those individuals that have given their lives in service to this country, to give you the freedom to listen to this show, to repost this show, to argue and disagree with this show, 
without fearing some sort of consequences and retribution from the government. Those people that have given their lives for that cause, for liberty, for freedom. I hope you had a memorial day, celebrating Memorial Day, as you commemorated those veterans, those soldiers, those people that have given your, their lives to this cause. Back to the topic of the day. The Fraternal Order of Police issued a report on the skyrocketing murder rates in urban settings across the United States, and they just issued the report last week on May 25th. So this is brand new news. I read those numbers to you, but let me review a couple of the points again. The report specifically focused on cities such as Chicago, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, and Washington, D.C., and all of them have experienced exponential increases in homicides compared to the same time last year. Murders in our nation's capital, for example, are up 35% as of May 25, 2021. Philadelphia, as I mentioned, has increased 40%. Minneapolis is up 56%. Yes, you heard that right. 56% increase in murders in Minneapolis. And I've already told you who takes the brass ring coming in at a stunning, stunning 800% increase so far this year in murders. And that's Portland, Oregon. Now, you're listening to these numbers. They should scare you. They should frighten you because what happens on the West Coast doesn't stay on the West Coast. Just because it's happening in Portland doesn't mean it will stay there. And what happens in Minneapolis doesn't stay in Minneapolis. And as we all know, what, what happens in Washington, D.C. eventually permeates itself across the country. My point is this. Whatever's causing this dysfunction, this social dysfunction, to take place in these urban areas won't stay there. I do not believe it will stay there. It's a cancer that is going to metastasize in various different communities across the nation. Here's a perfect example. I've told you this story before as I was driving back from the state of New York, where we have a family cottage up on Lake Ontario, I was driving back from there last summer, about a year ago, right now, and I decided to stop in Indianapolis, in the heartland, Indianapolis, to meet with a friend and have a sandwich. As I drove downtown to a somewhat famous deli where he suggested we get together, I was stunned to find out that downtown Minneapolis was bordered up with plywood because of the destruction that had, had taken place just days before because of who? Black Lives Matter. Storefronts were boarded up because of the destruction. Plywood, store after store, block after block in Indianapolis. Quite frankly, a shining city, a city that's exemplary, a city that is not in decline, a city that's on the rise. Downtown is very vibrant in Indianapolis. But because of BLM, stores were destroyed and boarded up, and plywood was seen block after block. Now, all of you, all of you should rightly be asking, what has led to all of this bloodletting and this destruction, this violence, this vandalism? Why are people dropping like flies in our nation's streets? And here's another one. How is it that American cities have come to be known more for their death rates than for their restaurants, their sports teams, or for their commerce or their primary industry. I mean, it was just yesterday we knew Detroit as being the motor city, right? And Chicago was the windy city. 
and Philadelphia was known as the city of brotherly love. But now we're talking about their homicide rates being one of the distinct features, features of these cities, one of the distinct characteristics of our urban areas is the death rate, the homicide rate, the murder rate. How has this happened? Well, you should be able to deliver this show for me if you've been listening to The Rebellion very long, because you should know what I'm going to say next. The answer to the question as to how this has all happened can be summarized in one word, and here it is. Consequences. Consequences. One more time. Consequences. Ideas always have what? Consequences. Ideas always bear fruit. There's no such thing as a value-neutral idea. Bad ideas will always bring bad results. That is a standard go-to mantra of this show. Ideas have consequences. There are ideas behind this dysfunction. You can't disconnect yourself from the ideas that we consume as a culture when it comes to assessing, evaluating, critiquing, and understanding the behaviors that take place in our culture. Ideas have consequences. They will always bear fruit. They do not lie fallow. Ideas always matter. So, I want to talk about one particular idea that I stumbled across last week. Let's consider it Exhibit A in last week's scramble for the Worst Thinking in the Media Award. On May 26th, Mark Lamont Hill. Now, I remind you, May 26th is one day after May 25th. It was May 25th that the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, issued these homicide reports that I just shared with you, these statistics that I've just reviewed. On May 26th, a day later, Mark Lamont Hill, the host of BET's Black News Tonight, interviewed Christopher Rufo. Now, Rufo is a senior fellow for the Manhattan Institute, and he also serves as a research scholar for the Discovery Institute. Rufo is a conservative thinker who represents these two institutes, and he's one of the guys that's in the machine of conservative thought. And he's been particularly critical of pushing the theory of critical race on all of our school children. He believes it's a mistake to teach our nation's progeny the racially divisive rhetoric and ideology of critical race theory. In other words, Rufo has come out and he has spoken against the blatant racism Okay, that's what it is. The blatant racism of teaching our kids that one color of skin, one race, is all negative. In Rufo's words, that whiteness is all negative. Well, you can imagine that Mark Lamont Hill, and if you don't know who he is, think back to one of the liberal talking heads that Fox News used to have on all the time. I don't think Mark Lamont Hill is on any longer with Fox. At least if he is, he's not there that much. He's now with CNN probably more than with Fox. He used to do both. Now, he's a progressive. He's a very intelligent progressive. He's a very confident, fast-talking, excellent debater. He will bulldoze over the top of an opponent if they allow him to do so. Well, 
he also had an advantage in this particular scenario because it's his show, and the host always holds the upper hand, obviously. He can shut you off when he wants to. He can tell his producer to turn off your mic. He can just keep going. He knows, as I would know on my show, that I have more control than the guest. And Lamont Hill knows that. And that, that's, that's really not the point. That's not necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing, unless you abuse it, I suppose. Well, Lamont Hill, Mark Lamont Hill, disagreed with Rufo. And he pressed him. He pressed him to name one thing that he likes about being white. This is his quote. If whiteness isn't a negative thing, name something that you believe is positive about being white. Close quote. And then Lamont Hill went on further, and he scolded Rufo. And he proceeded to argue that our nation's schools need, that's a quote, need critical race theory to expose, this is another quote, the evils that whiteness imposes on black people in America. Now, stop and think about it. If anybody else asked someone of a different race, if um, a Hispanic person asked somebody who's black to name one thing, name one thing that isn't negative, name one thing that isn't negative, name something that you believe is positive about being black. If a Hispanic said that to a black person, you know darn well they'd be accused of blatant racism. And quite frankly, it kind of smacks of that. If anybody said that, anybody, black, white, Hispanic, or Asian, if anybody said, name one thing, name one thing about being Jewish that is positive. If Jewish, if being Jewish isn't negative, name something that you believe is positive about being Jewish. If anybody said that, you would rightfully be accused of being an anti-Semite. Because that's deplorable. That's a deplorable category to put people in. So I would argue that you have it right there. The winner of last week's prize for terrible thinking, i.e. for judging people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character, goes to, drumroll please, Mark Lamont Hill. Now, I covered a lot of this in a chapter in my book. It's a chapter where I make the argument that there's no I in team, and this individuality, excuse me, this hyper-individuality where everything is about the individual. Everything is about me. Everything is about what I deserve. Everything is about you offending me. You compromising my safety. You are a racist. You have a history of privilege. It's all about you being bad and me being good. And I deserve my pound of flesh. I cover this in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. In fact, Here's something I offer in one of the uh, anecdotes within that particular chapter in Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I say this, our identity isn't found in race or gender. It isn't found in personal grievances or contrived government categories. As St. Paul told the first century church, we are neither barbarian or Scythian. That's a quote. That's a quote from St. Paul, from the Apostle Paul. But we are human beings and selfless unity rather than self-centered demands must be our top priority and our defining character. Close quote out of my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I'm going to read that to you one more time so you don't miss the point. Our identity is not found in race or gender. It isn't found in personal grievances or contrived government categories. 
as St. Paul told the first century church, we are neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but we are human beings and selfless unity rather than self-centered demands must be our top priority and our defining character, close quote. You see, in the earliest days of the church, all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's a quote from Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They cared a great deal about unity and cared very little about diversity. Christ was the focus, not their race. One more time. They cared a great deal about unity and they cared very little about diversity. Christ was their focus, not their race. As Vodi Bakum has said, there's one race, the human race in the Bible. All other categories are contrived social constructions, basically built on sin rather than a savior. The first church, the assembly included men and women, Jews and Gentiles, barbarians and Scythians, slave and free, and all these people were from various socioeconomic backgrounds and nationalities, races and ethnic groups. There was clearly potential for them to focus on their differences. They could have fixated on what divided them. They could have started talking about diversity and multiculturalism. They could have started lecturing each other about critical race theory and intersectionality and how one group was privileged over another. They could have focused on all of this. They could have focused on the negative rather than the positive. But we don't hear any of that. We don't hear any of it, none of it. So the question is why? Well, here's the answer. Because the first church understood the first thing. First things and second things, remember, priorities. The first church understood the first thing, and that was the body, with a capital B, was more important than the individual. Confession was more important than their complaints. Unity was more important than diversity. They sold what they had and gave it to others, not because they were socialists. Don't let anybody peddle that pablum to you or your church or your kids. They gave all that they had to others, not because they were socialists, but because of their Savior. Do you get the difference here? They didn't give of their wealth because they thought everyone deserved their fair share. They gave all that they had, everything that they had, because they knew that no one, themselves included, deserved anything. It's the opposite of what you're hearing from the social justice warriors right now, from the woke and the righteous. It's the opposite of critical race theory, of race conflict, of class warfare. It's the opposite. It's not communism or socialism. It's Christianity. One more time, they sold what they had and gave it to everyone else, not because they were socialists, but because of their savior, and they didn't give of their wealth because they thought everyone deserved their fair share. They gave, they gave all that they had because they knew that no one, themselves included, deserved anything. The bottom line, the bottom line is this. The first century church changed the world, not by focusing on color, but rather by focusing on character, their own, and more importantly, 
on that of Christ's. They knew it was about their sin and not the system. It wasn't systemic racism that was the problem. It was personal sin. They knew it was about their sin, their personal sin, their sin. Not your sin, not his sin or her sin or that other group's sin. They knew it was about their sin and not the system. And as a result, people like a Pharisee named Saul started loving people rather than killing them. So back to the point of today's show. Pundits like Mark Lamont Hill are doing our nation great harm. Their ideas, Mark Lamont Hill's ideas, critical race theory, intersectionality, disparaging white people, actually suggesting on national TV that there's nothing positive, zero, nothing positive. Name one single thing that you can come up with that's positive about being white. If that isn't racism, I don't know what is. And his ideas have consequences. His thinking and people like him, their thinking is an ideological cancer that consumes our country's soul and corrupts our nation's cities. And let me be clear, when I say his thinking and their thinking, people that think like him, I'm not referring to him because he's black or people who think like him because they're black. Oh, absolutely not. There are more white people out there that buy this nonsense than perhaps people of a different race, of a different color of skin. And I would argue that those whites who, for some reason, think that there's value in embracing a racist worldview, that somehow that's going to end well, even though they're the ones who are self-flagellating right now and pretending to be all woke and all repentant. If they embrace this bad thinking, it isn't going to end well. We see the results of this agenda, this terrible ideological agenda playing itself out in our streets, on the streets in which we drive and in the neighborhoods in which we live. We see the division and the resentment, the victimization and the vengeance. People are pretending to call other people together, but yet they persist in driving them apart. They rail against racists and they foment racism. They claim to be for equality, but now they argue that those who have less melanin are actually less than, quote-unquote, less than equal. That's their language. That's a quote from Nick Cannon. We've talked about that before. Hannah Nicole Jones, we've talked about that before. These are quotes where they're actually categorizing people by virtue of the color of their skin as being good or evil. This has never ended well for any culture that's gone down this path. Dividing people by physical characteristics, by origin, by family, by genetics, never ends well. He who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them, George Santayana. Just last week, there were over 17,000 tweets under this hashtag. Hashtag. Hitler was right. 17,000. Twitter didn't shut it down. But yet, if you were to suggest that masks aren't effective, they'll censor you. But they let 17,000 hashtags 
Hitler was right? Go unattended? This is very dangerous, people. Dividing people by the color of their skin, by their physical characteristics, by their genetics, by their family history, is a very dangerous place for us to go. Look at Germany. Look at fascist Italy. Look at Cambodia. Look at Red China and the Cultural Revolution. We're walking on very thin ice right now with very, very shallow and sinful ideas. And Mark Lamont Hill's blatant racism is the poster child of that last week. What's the result of all of this? Well, let's go back to the lead-in to the show. The Fraternal Order of Police on May 25th says that the homicide rate in Philadelphia is up 40%. Minneapolis up 56%, New York up 22%, Chicago up 22%, Los Angeles 27%, Washington, D.C. 35%, and Portland, Portland, Oregon, the city of roses in the beautiful Northwest, it's up 800%. 800%. Do you think dismantling white culture as Black Lives Matter has described it, is a good idea? Do you think dismantling and queering the nuclear family is a good idea? Do you think defunding the police is a good idea? Do you think labeling people by the color of their skin rather than acknowledging the content of their character is a good idea? Mr. Hill, do you think these are good ideas? Because that's what's prevailing in Portland, Oregon right now. 800% increase in homicides. Something's causing it. What's causing it? I don't see conservative evangelicals waving banners at these protests where they're destroying businesses, burning and looting and killing people. It's not Christian flags that are prevailing there. I think it's yellow and black flags that say say BLM. So here's the bottom line. The result of all of this terrible thinking This ideological cancer, these ideas of Mark Lamont Hill and others, whether they be black or white, elites and woke, who are telling us how to live our lives, and that certain people that look a certain way have nothing positive to say about their existence. The result of all of this is that blood flows, the death toll rises, and Philadelphia becomes a city of racial hate rather than brotherly love while Minneapolis begins to look more and more like Mogadishu. Ideas have consequences. They always bear fruit. And the fruit of critical theory is bearing itself out before your very eyes. Now keep in mind that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are trying to force this curriculum, this theory, this ideology into your local schools right in your backyard. Not just Portland, not just Chicago, not just Philadelphia, not just Minneapolis, but Tulsa, Muskogee, Bartlesville, Cleveland, Ohio, Indianapolis. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left, and we better start attending to the truth and defending it, or this story will not be about someone else's city. It will be about your own. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.